James 1, 22-27 But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So the title of our message is Doers of the Word. Doers of the Word. It is not enough to hear the word, we must do it. Many people have the mistaken idea that hearing a good sermon or Bible study alone is what makes them grow and get God's blessing. It is not the hearing, but the doing or the application of the word into our lives that brings the blessing. Too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. If you think you are spiritual because you hear the word, then you are only kidding yourself. To hear the word and not do it leads to deception, but to hear the word and do it leads to blessing. In James 1.21, he talked about receiving the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. In verses 22 to 27, he goes on to emphasize doing the word. Verses 22-24, he shows that hearing the word without doing it leads to deception. He illustrates this in verse 26 with a man who claims to be religious, but who does not bridle his tongue. He deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. In verse 25, he shows us that hearing the word accompanied by doing it leads to blessing. He illustrates this with two examples in verse 27, caring for orphans and widows, and keeping oneself unstained by the world. It is important to realize that James is addressing church-going people. He is not writing to pagans, but to those who regularly hear the word of God. He's writing to us. Probably they took some comfort, these Jewish Christians took some comfort in the fact that they often heard the word. And that put them a notch above those pagans who never attended church. Being Jewish Christians, some probably took pride in their observance of certain rituals and their outward commands. They'd been baptized. They partook of the Lord's Supper. They attended church. They didn't steal or murder or commit adultery. They didn't do any obvious outward sins. They took pride in how they looked on the outside. They took pride in how Christian they looked on the outside. But James cuts through the veneer straight to the heart. To hear and then not do the word. James 1, 22 to verse 24 and verse 26. We're talking about our first point, to hear and then not do the word. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves, for if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. If any man among you seem to be religious, and brideth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Hearing the word without doing it is the default mode of our fallen hearts. Like Adam and Eve, when God confronted them, we are quick to blame others and dodge our own responsibility for our sins. To be doers of the word, we've got to give it more than passing attention. 
it requires deliberate focus and hard work to apply it personally to our lives. To hear the word without doing it leads to self-deception. Obedience should always be the bottom line of Bible study or biblical preaching. Correct application must always be built on correct interpretation. But to study the word just to fill your head with knowledge without applying the word short-circuits God's purpose in giving the word. Even seemingly irrelevant matters such as biblical genealogies are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16. James gives us four warnings about those who hear the word without doing the word. Number one, hearers only of the word take a quick glance, but don't do anything to fix what they see. James uses the illustration of a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, rushes out the door, and forgets what he saw. Maybe he had a couple of days of stubble on his face, or he slept wrong on his hair, and it stuck up in an unruly manner. But he's late, he's late for work, and he really does not care at all. He's not concerned about his appearance. So he quickly tries to smooth it out and rushes out the door. Even though he looks like he just got out of bed, the mirror showed him the problems, but he didn't do anything to fix them. The word of God is like a mirror that reveals to us the very thoughts and intentions of our heart, Hebrews 4.12. It shows us our ugly, self-centered attitudes. It exposes our pride. It confronts our contempt for others and our lack of compassion. It hits our sinful anger and speech. It uncovers our deception. It uncovers our greed and our lust. But if we just take a quick glance at the word, only once in a while, and we rush out the door, without doing anything to address the problems that the word revealed to us, it won't do us any good. And number two, hearers only of the word forget what they heard. The main point of James' illustration about the man in the mirror is that he quickly forgets what he saw in the mirror. The mirror is not at fault. It tells it like it is. It shows us what we really look like. But the man who takes this quick look quickly forgets what he saw. He is a forgetful hearer, and so he does nothing about the problems he saw in the mirror. I think James is not describing a man with poor memory, but rather a man with poor priorities. He doesn't remember what he saw in the mirror because he doesn't regard it as very important. He forgets what God's word says about his sins because really, it just isn't all that important compared to other things in his life. He's got more important things going on than to worry about what God's word says about his life. Now, the problem of forgetting God is a frequent theme in the Old Testament. Moses warned Israel in Deuteronomy 6, verse 12, after they got into the land, Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. And then just two chapters later in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, he repeats, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what is in thine heart. And then Psalm 103.2 warns God's people to forget not all his benefits. Psalm 106.7 warns us of how our fathers in Egypt remembered not the multitude of thy mercies. Psalm 106.13 states, They soon forget his works. Psalm 106.21 says, They forget God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. They were doing a quick look, but they weren't applying what God was teaching them. They do a quick look 
of what God had done or what God had said. They would forget it. They didn't do it. They didn't apply it. They were hearers and not doers. Now one of the last commands in the Old Testament, Malachi 4.4, says, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant. Don't forget it. Remember it. Don't be a forgetful hearer. Remember it. Israel didn't have a memory problem. They had a priority problem. God's commandments just weren't all that important to them. They had other things going on, other things that were more pressing, other things that were more important. Well, we are no different today. We can sometimes have the wrong priorities when it comes to the things of God. Other things are just more important. I don't have time to study the Word. I don't have time to to go to Sunday evening church. I don't have time to, to go to Wednesday evening church. I don't have time to witness. I don't have time for the things of God. Other things are just more important. I've, I've got other things going on. We have a priority problem. What should be the number one priority in a Christian's life? That is the Lord, our relationship with the Lord, and obeying his commands. Israel had a priority problem, but I think that is a big problem with the Christians today is a priority problem. Now, number three. Hearers only end up deceiving themselves. James mentions this twice in verse 22 and again in this practical illustration in verse 26. If you hear the word often, but do not put it into practice, you delude yourself. The solution is not to avoid hearing the word, but rather to apply it to the problems in your life that the word uncovers. Every chapter in the Bible is designed in some way to apply to our daily lives. As you read the word, always be asking how it applies to you. If you can't figure out how a text applies, move on to those that plainly apply. As Mark Twain is reputed to have said, It isn't the parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. In verse 26, James gives us an example of someone who hears the word, but does not do it, and so deceives himself. This man thinks that he is religious. Now the word religious and the word religion are infrequently used words in the New Testament. James uses them here because he's describing a man who prides himself in the outward trappings of the faith, but who is not applying it to his heart. He is a religious Jew who now professes faith in Christ, but like many of the Jews, his religion is a matter of pride and outward performance. He prays, he fasts, he tithes, he goes through all the rituals. But in James' example, he doesn't bridle his tongue. James says that this man deceives his own heart and his religion is worthless. Now let's apply that to today. There can be found in almost every church those that pride themselves on their outward observance of what they think makes them the most Christian person in that church. Their outward observance of how they dress, how they talk, of their rules, of their just different ways they can outwardly project to others how Christian they are. But many of these same people that are trying to outwardly project to others how Christian they are have a problem with bridling their tongue. And it goes back to here, James. James gives as an example. James gives that as a symptom of someone who's concerned about the outward appearance, but never applying it to their heart. They just apply it to how they work. They apply the Word of God to how they look to others, the image they project to others, but they never really apply it to their heart. And a symptom of these kind of people are people that have a problem bridling their tongue, problem controlling their speech. Number four, hearers only fail to obey what the word tells them to do. They think that hearing is the same as doing, and it is not. 
We Christians enjoy substituting reading for doing. We substitute talking for doing. We substitute listening for doing. If we are to use God's mirror profitably, then we must gaze into it carefully and with serious intent. No quick glances will do. We must examine our own hearts and lives in light of God's word. This requires time. This requires attention. This requires sincere devotion. Five minutes with God each day will never accomplish a deep spiritual examination. When Jesus, the great physician Matthew 9.12, examines us, he uses his word, and he wants us to give him sufficient time to do the job well. Perhaps one reason we glance into the word instead of gaze and dwell into the word is that we are afraid of what we might see. After seeing ourselves, we must remember what we are and what God says and what we must do. We must do the word. We must apply the word. We must live out the word. The blessing comes in the doing, not in the reading of the word. The emphasis in James is on the practice of the word or the application of the word. We are to continue after reading the word. Why did James call the word of God the perfect law of liberty in verse 25? Because when we obey it, God sets us free. And I walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Psalm 119.45 If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8.31-32 Our next point, to hear and do the word. To hear and do the word. James 1, verse 22, and then 25 and 27. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. To hear the word and do it leads to blessing. Obedience to the word leads to blessing. The one who hears the word and becomes an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in his deed. There are four things to note. Number one, the blessed hearer and doers look intently at the word. Rather than a quick glance, the doer of the word looks intently at the word. The Greek word means to stoop and look carefully at something. It was used of John and Mary stooping to look carefully into the empty tomb after the resurrection, John chapter 20. This was not a casual, quick look. They peered in there carefully, trying to see if the body of Jesus was inside. This isn't the quick glance of the guy who rushes out the door, but rather the careful look of one who notices a blemish or a spot of dirt and takes the time to correct the problem. When we gaze into the Word, when we read the Word, we should be trying to notice any blemishes of character, any spots of sin, any dirtiness of sin in our life, and then take the time to correct those blemishes of character, correct those dirty spots of sin in our life. Apply what the Word is teaching us to our life and make those corrections. As you look intently at the Word, ask God first to help you understand what it meant to the original readers. You can't apply a text that you do not properly understand. Then ask Him how it applies to your life, not just outwardly, but on the heart level. And number two, the hearer and doer applies the Word not just to his outward behavior, but to his heart. And this leads to restoration. Note that James changes terminology in verses 25. Up to now, he's mentioned the word in verse 18, 21, 22, and 23. But now he refers to it as the perfect law of liberty. Why does he do this? 
James knew that his fellow Jews were prone to keep the law outwardly, while their hearts were far from God. Like the rich young ruler, they thought that they kept all the commandments from their youth up, but he was violating the great commandment, because he loved his money more than he loved God, Matthew chapter 19. As Jesus rebuked the Jews in Matthew 15, citing Isaiah 29:13, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. One commentator argues that the perfect law of liberty, the perfect law, James is not referring simply to the law of Moses. Rather, he is pointing to the interpretation and fulfillment of what that law and the teaching of Jesus, the new lawgiver. When James calls it the law of liberty, he is referring to the new covenant of promise of the law written on the heart, accompanied by the work of the Spirit, enabling obedience to that law for the first time. This law of liberty, therefore, does not enslave, nor is it enforced by external compulsion. It is instead freely given and freely accepted with joy from the sinner. The mirror of the perfect law of liberty can lead to restoration. Exodus 38, verse 8. And he made the laver of, bra of brass, and the foot of it of brass, of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. When he built the tabernacle, Moses took the metal looking glasses of the women and from them made the laver. The laver was a huge basin that stood between the brazen altar of sacrifice and the holy place. The basin was filled with water, and the priests washed their hands and feet at the laver before they entered the holy place to minister. Water for washing is a picture of the Word of God and its cleansing power. The church is sanctified and cleansed with the washing of water by the Word, Ephesians 5.26. When a sinner trusts Christ, he is washed clean, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-11, and Titus chapter 3. But as the believer walks in this world, his hands and feet are defiled, and he needs cleansing, John chapter 13. The mirror of the Word not only examines us and reveals our sin, but it can help to cleanse us as well. It gives us the promise of cleansing, 1 John 1, 9. As we meditate on it, it cleanses the heart and the mind from spiritual defilement. It is the blood of Christ that cleanses the guilt, but the water of the word helps to wash away the defilement. Nathan's experience with David in 2 Samuel 12 helps to illustrate this truth. Nathan told David a story about the stolen ewe lamb, and David became angry at the sin described. Thou art the man, said the prophet, and he held up the mirror of the word for David to see for himself. The result was restoration. With God through confession and repentance, I have sinned against the Lord, David said. The mirror of the word did its work of examination. But Nathan did not stop there. He also used the word for restoration. The Lord has also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. 2 Samuel 12:13. Here was the assurance of forgiveness and cleansing, and it came from the word. David visited the laver and washed his hands and feet of that sin. Number three, the blessed hearer and doer continues applying the word to his heart. James adds, and continueth therein. In other words, this man is not coming to the word for a quick fix for his immediate problem. He gets the answer and then he says, thanks, see you next time I'm in trouble. Rather, the Bible must be continually applied to our hearts over our entire lifetime. It's a long-term approach that requires discipline and diligence to reap the benefits. As Psalm 1, 1-3 states, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. And his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The blessed hearer endure looks intently at the word. He applies it, not just to his outward behavior, but also to his heart. He continues applying it over a lifetime. Number four. As the blessed hearer endure applies the word, it transforms his character and changes his conduct in the sight of God. The mirror of the word can cause transformation in the hearer and doer's life. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass of the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the word. After the Lord restores us, he wants to change us so that we will grow in grace and not commit that sin again. Too many Christians confess their sins and claim forgiveness, but never grow spiritually to conquer self and sin. 2 Corinthians 3 is a discussion of the contrast between the Old Covenant ministry of the law and the New Covenant ministry of grace. The law is external, written on tablets of stone, but salvation means that God's word is written on the heart. The Old Covenant ministry condemned and killed, but the New Covenant ministry brings forgiveness and life. The glory of the law gradually disappeared, but the glory of God's grace becomes brighter and brighter. The law was temporary, but the new covenant of grace is eternal. You may explain 2 Corinthians 3.18 in this way. When the child of God looks into the word of God, the glass or the mirror, he sees the Son of God, and he is transformed by the Spirit of God to share in the glory of God. The word changed in the Greek gives us our English word metamorphosis, a change on the outside that comes from the inside. When an ugly worm turns into a beautiful butterfly, this is a metamorphosis. When a believer spends time looking into the word and seeing Christ, he is transformed. The glory on the inside is revealed on the outside. It is this word that is translated transfigured in Matthew 17:2. The glory of Christ on the mount was not reflected. It was radiated from within. You will find the same word in Romans 12:2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we meditate on the word, the spirit renews the mind, reveals the glory of God. We are transformed. That means from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This happens on the inside and goes to the outside. As we meditate on the word, the spirit renews the mind and reveals the glory of God. We do not become spiritual Christians overnight. It is a process. The work of the Spirit of God through the mirror of the Word of God. The important thing is that we hide nothing. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Psalm 139, 23-24 If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. 1 John 1, 8 Pure religion. James 1, 27a Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. The applied word results in selfless conduct in the sight of God. The word visit means more than dropping in for a social call, although it includes that. It comes from the same word that is translated overseer, describing the work of elders. It means to look out for, to care for, and be concerned about. To show this concern for orphans and widows requires that a person take his focus off of himself and his needs 
and think about others and their needs. Usually there is no paycheck when you care for orphans and widows. In the society James was addressing, they were poor and not able to work. What motivates you to care for them is, you know that they have needs. You apply the golden rule, how you would want to be treated if you were in their situation, and you do it to please God, who sent his son so that you could be adopted into his family. The point is that when God's word takes root in our hearts, it shifts our focus from self to others. When God's word takes root in our heart, self-centeredness disappears and others-centeredness appears. One practical way that I've learned to move from having good intentions to obey the word to actually doing it is to put it in my schedule. It's easy to think to ourselves, I need to go see so-and-so and encourage them in their faith. Great thought, but if we do not put it into our schedule, it will not happen. Because most of us do not have a lot of spontaneous free time where we are wondering what to do. Now James 1.27b, and keep himself unspotted from the world. The applied word, the hearer and the doer of the word, applying it to his life, the applied word results in separated character in the sight of God. James says that pure and undefiled religion is to keep himself unspotted from the world. The world refers to the evil system under Satan's domain that is opposed to God. It is dirty and defiling. As God's people, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. John 17, 15 and 19. James does later say, though, in chapter 4, verse 4, if we make friends with the world, we have made ourselves enemies of God. He means that we are not to embrace the world's goals, priorities, and temporal values. We should not find pleasure in the world's entertainment if it mocks God and his word. To be more specific, a lot of the media that is out there will defile you. Avoid those kinds of media choices. But we are to go into the world and befriend sinners as the Savior did, and yet not be stained by their evil thinking and their evil deeds. So in conclusion, James is a practical, no-nonsense pastor. He tells us, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. The hearing of the word speaks of its reception. James says that we are not to be hearers only, deceiving ourselves. We fool ourselves if we think that we have gained all that there is to be gained by simply hearing God's word. God's word shows us the truth about our need. It shows us areas in our lives that need to be changed. A gray-haired old lady, long a member of her church, shook hands with the pastor after the service one Sunday morning. That was a wonderful sermon, she exclaimed. Just wonderful. Everything you said applied to someone I know. Oh, isn't that how we think sometimes? We're listening to the sermon like, oh, so-and-so should be hearing that. That applies to them. That applies to them. So-and-so should be hearing that. That's for them. We need to be applying it to ourselves. That's being a hearer only, not a doer of the word, not a, someone who applies the word to her life. We need to listen to a sermon and see what in that sermon applies to us and not think about what applies to others, but more concerned about how it applies to us. James doesn't want us applying the word to others. James wants us to apply it to ourselves. He wants us to be doers of the word and not hearers only.